0: Season three of Formative is brought to you by the generous support by Macy's Inc. whose purpose is to create a brighter future with bold representation for underrepresented youth so we can realize the full potential of every one of us. Welcome to Formative, the show where today's leaders are interviewed by the leaders of tomorrow. Today, we have former U.S. Ambassador, Susan Levine, We get to hear about her rich family life, how she learned to listen, and how both of these intersect with making a difference in the world. I'm Rachel Gazdick, CEO of New York Edge, and my co host today is Allison from 83X. Allison, I'm so excited to be doing today's show with you. Why don't you tell our guest a little bit about yourself? Thank you.
1: I am 13 years old. I'm currently in eighth grade in PS83. I'm
0: really interested in the arts, law, and yeah, it's me. All right, Allison. So why don't we bring in today's guest? Welcome, Susie, to today's show, and thanks so much for being here. Thank you so much. I'm honored and humbled to be participating in this conversation. So Allison, why don't you take it away? Thank you. Yeah, just, oh my God, I'm nervous. Actually,
1: Allison,
2: you know what? I just want to share with you. I'm nervous every time I do a presentation and what I do is I ask my butterflies to fly in formation so that I can do what I need to do, ask what I need to ask and know that I'm not alone in feeling nervous or in feeling uncomfortable and sometimes life begins at the edge of our comfort zone. So I welcome you sharing that. Thank you very much. I'm actually nervous too, but I'm also really excited to hear your questions and to learn about you.
1: Thank you. Okay, I'm ready to start. Can you like tell me a little bit more about yourself?
2: I'll share with you a story when I was in the seventh grade. I loved my science teacher. I loved my science class. It was Mrs. Thompson, and she was very hard. She was one of the hardest teachers I've ever actually had, even including college. And I was inspired one day to start folding paper and I created a paper airplane. And to her credit, when she saw that it actually flew, she asked me, how does it fly? And I didn't know the answer. I then decided I wanted to be an aerospace engineer and wanted to be an astronaut because I wanted to figure out how that thing flew. That then started me on a journey that has been very nonlinear over the course of my career where I did study engineering The year that I graduated, they weren't hiring engineers in the field in which I was interested. So I ended up getting a job with any old technology company that came to campus. And it happened to be Microsoft, that technology company. When I was there, I rotated around different jobs. And I ended up at Expedia, which then became its own company outside of Microsoft after a few years. I met Senator Maria Cantwell through that job when they asked me to take a trip to Cuba at one point with her, which was incredible. And that then helped me get exposure to political leaders. A couple of years later, I had the chance then to meet Senator Barack Obama, who I was very impressed with, very nervous around. And I decided that when he would run for president, I would do everything I could to try to get him elected. He ultimately asked me to become his ambassador to Switzerland and Liechtenstein in 2014 to represent him and the United States to the people. I stayed very focused though on this space around learning and education and learned a lot about their system of apprenticeship. They have a very different way that they educate and develop their young people. And I got very knowledgeable and brought that back to the United States. When I finished that time, I subsequently worked in Washington state for the governor, running the workforce system. And then when Vice President Biden became President Biden, I went to go work for him to run that at the national level. About a year and a half ago, I left paid work to be home with my family. And that's how I spend my time. That's a little bit about me. I'm a mom. I'm a citizen. I'm a dog walker in terms of my dogs. I love paddle boarding. And most importantly, I love making the world a better place.
1: Well. Wow. Speaking about your family, how do you balance work and family? And is it difficult? I don't actually think about it as a balance. I think about it as a
2: continuum that changes over the course of your life. And I'm a big fan of work to live, don't live to work. And my view is these concentric circles. So think of a circle in the middle, which is you. And around that is family. Around that, is your community, and then your state, and your nation, and your world. I am somebody who cares deeply about those outer rings, but if the inner rings aren't healthy, if I'm not healthy, if I haven't had exercise, if I'm not spiritually healthy, if I'm not mentally healthy, or if my family's not healthy, I don't have the energies to support those outer rings and they'll collapse. So that's what fuels my thoughts around work-life continuum
1: if you're not healthy and stuff, how do you deal with the stress that comes from work? Ooh, my
2: goodness, how do any of us deal with it? Let me first ask you that question, Allison. The past couple of years have been really rough. What have been some of your techniques for addressing and relieving the stress that you've had and what are some of the things that your family or those people in your neighborhood or community did to help relieve some of that stress?
1: Well, when it comes to me, I really like to like listen to some music, definitely to calm me down. I would dance, and when it comes to my community, we would either like all gather together, like have a like a little feast or something, and talk about it because you can't just ignore the problem because if you do, it's never gonna go away.
2: Oof, and it feels like with the various forces around us of social media. constant interruptions it only makes it more and more amplified and so that's great that you're finding that time for some of that release I personally every day I go for a walk with my husband and my dogs to start out my morning and that's a really great way to as you said talk it out and to know okay I'm gonna have a place and a person with whom to have these conversations And I'm going to get some exercise. So exercise is a big part of it. I also love listening to music. And during the summertime, I go out and I paddleboard and look at the ducks and the turtles and listen to the water. So that is a way for me to de-stress. And we also, during the pandemic, well, we're still in the pandemic, but during the heat of it... I have two kids and they were home every day as all kids were and we started a pattern of having dinner together every night and that too was a great way to alleviate stress
1: yeah i find it very important to gather around my family during dinner to be able to talk and just have fun have a good laugh it's very a good way to release stress yeah yeah agreed talking about stress When you are at your lowest point, you can be like really sad, really stressed. What motivates you to keep going?
2: That is a very deep question. And it's changed over time. I have had the blessing of successes that I can point to so that I know if I have failed or I'm having a blue day, or if I'm having a blue week or a blue month or a really challenging time, I know that I can get through it. I know that there is another side. And that is now what motivates me if I hit a rough patch or if I'm feeling really just upset about something is knowing that I do know how to make a difference, whether that's a small difference or a big difference, I can get through it. But before I had sort of a track record, so to speak, on which to draw or to give me hope. I think it really was knowing that I had my faith, I had my family, I had love around me and support. I've hit some really rough patches and I've made some very hard decisions. Like at one point, one of my children was really facing very big challenges from social emotional struggles they were having. And at the same time, work wasn't going exactly as I'd hoped. And I had to make the really hard decision to leave work and be home with my kids. And that was really hard because it was like, oh my gosh, am I getting off the flywheel of work? Is this going to impact my career? Is my kid going to be okay? And it's only now in hindsight, looking back, that I know it was absolutely the best and right decision. And my kid is great, not just good. My kid is great. But in the moment, that's a really hard thing to do. And it's really hard to feel like there's going to be a light at the other end of the tunnel that isn't an oncoming
1: train. Wow, that's very meaningful. I agree with that because, as you said before, if you and your family and the people you care about are not healthy and happy you won't have enough energy to like go on with work. Yeah. As a person who's interested in politics myself, what are some tips you would like to give me?
2: Well, for one, you're already doing it. So I have only a couple of additional tips. You already, in terms of having the courage to formulate really insightful questions at listening, That's the most important thing is asking questions and listening. So you already got the first tip Done. Check. Meeting lots of people. You're already doing that. Done. Check. So you're already well on your way. The other is partnerships and knowing about collaborations. I just finished actually teaching a seminar at Brown University in which my goal was to help the students understand and build their power by learning the importance of partnerships, patience, and persistence. So with partnerships, what a lot of people don't realize is how much does get done politically through really unlikely partnerships. So whether that is a legislator here in Washington state, who is a Democrat, who partnered with a Republican in another part of the state to make accessible oral chemotherapy, or whether it was Senator Hassan, who's Democrat, partnering with Senator Cassidy, who's a Republican, to pass the no surprises bill in Congress that ensures that people don't get surprise medical billing from other providers when they have a major surgery. So as somebody who's thinking about the political arena, I encourage you to think about looking for and collaborating with people that you might otherwise not necessarily think are in line with your approach. I also would encourage you to recognize that sometimes things don't take days or weeks. They take months, years, and sometimes decades to accomplish. And so as you think about politics, I encourage you to think about it in a long view I encourage you to identify who are the political leaders in your community, who you find who are kind, who listen, who are available and responsive, but also who have team members who also reflect those values because a good leader has a great team. So, and then volunteer your little heart out and you can do it even now. You could knock doors, you can make phone calls. So there's a lot to be done.
1: Well, I really like what you said about collaboration because you might not know this about me, but I'm the captain of my school's cheer team and being captain comes with a lot of responsibilities. But one of my biggest responsibilities is being able to like listen to my other team members and see what they want because if the whole team isn't happy, nobody's happy.
2: That's amazing. Congratulations. How do you handle when there's conflict or when the different team members want very different things? How do you arbitrate or reconcile that?
1: What I like to do is I like to listen to everybody and see what their opinions are first. And then I try to like get a few ideas and put them in one so that way everybody can get what they want. But at the same time, there's not only one thing and like not only the other. So that way, everybody's happy.
2: I find that all too often in the media, people don't speak highly of compromise anymore. And yet what I just heard from you was that you help bring folks together and often ask them to compromise to find a common solution. So, what do you say to your peers and your team members about compromise?
1: with cheerleading it's literally in the name leading and in order to be a good leader you need to be able to do things that maybe you might not want to do it but you would need to at least try because even though sometimes i try to get a mix of both things at the same time there might be an option where i only have to choose one of them I'm so sorry. i usually tell my team to like okay Sure, you wanted to do this, but today, sadly, we're not going to be able to do this or that. And I try to calm them down, first of all. Yeah. And I try to like maybe crack a joke, bring them all together, (laughs) say something that I know that they will start laughing. And like at the end of the day, all I really care about is that my team is happy because there's definitely a lot of drama in middle school.
2: (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I know. You talked about a moment ago when you're trying new things and experimenting. Do you feel like you, in your work on the cheerleading team and other areas of your life, do you feel like you have the freedom to
1: fail and learn from that failure? Yes, definitely. I've broken my wrist, sprained my oh, ankle. Yeah, how?
2: And what did you learn from those moments?
1: What I learned from those moments is. To not let it discourage me. Because, sure, yeah, I hurt myself. But it doesn't stop me from, like, I could even help from the sidelines. I could do anything I really put my mind to. Amen to that. What do you think the key to success is? Oh,
2: my goodness. Well, I don't think there's one key. That's the key to is. There's not one key. I have a tremendous amount of energy. And that energy, I know how to channel it. I know how to use it. And at the same time, I know that it can overwhelm people. So I have to use it as a superpower and know that it's kryptonite. Does that make sense? Yeah. So for me, that has been one of my keys to success. I have not actually always been a very good listener. I grew up in a household where we interrupted each other as a matter of religious purpose. it was a Jewish household who we were always talking over each other and we always wanted the light. We always wanted the floor. And it wasn't until I took a training when I was working in Microsoft that was listening training that I stopped to listen. And that has really helped me a lot. I believe listening is a really critical factor for anybody, especially those who aspire to lead. I also... think that something, and again, it is sort of relates to my energy. I have no fears of rolling up my sleeve and doing the work. And I believe that puts me in better contact as a leader with the people who are impacted by my work, whether that's consumers using a product, whether that is citizens getting benefits, whether that is workers seeking jobs, whether that is businesses paying into a system. I know how the systems work because I roll up my sleeves and I dig deeply into them. I also treat everybody with respect. I don't care if it's the person whose job it is to make sure the doors are locked at the end of the day, the person whose job it is to manage the finances, It doesn't matter. They don't have to earn my respect. You start out with my respect. And one other key factor is giving people the benefit of the doubt. People are trying to do a good job. There's so many things that happen in people's lives to impact their well-being and their attitudes. And if you start from a place of people are trying to be good and they're trying to do the right thing, it really transforms how you interact with people. And allows you, I believe, to make better and kinder decisions. So those are just a few. But I'd say, you know, if I had to sort of elevate one above all else that has been helpful for me, has been able to channel my energy for good.
1: I like what you said about listening as an eighth grader and I'm in the honors class. I lucky enough to have learned and had whole lessons about listening and having conversations. I find myself very grateful to be able to learn these things because once I started learning how to listen, I realized, oh, I've never done this before. I'm like, oh, I never knew that's how you do (laughs) it. And yeah, I find it really important as well.
2: I have been in many environments, even as a leader, where people don't listen to me because I'm female. Or sometimes my husband and I have presented together on various issues, including gender discrimination and on apprenticeship, and people don't hear from me what I've said, but my husband will say the same thing and they'll hear from him. And there's actually an interesting article many years ago in the New York Times about the women in the Obama White House who, saw this happening in meetings where people would listen to them and a man would then represent one of their ideas and people like that's brilliant they created an environment where they said listen we're going to amplify each other it's like playing soccer but with your words where you're kicking the ball to each other and that way you're elevating people in the room as a leader you have an opportunity to set the ground rules for an environment to set the ground rules for a meeting for a team for a whatever in saying, here's how we value each other. We listen. And if you also see people not participating, but whose voices should be heard, it's great to bring them in. And I'll often say, you know, Allison, we haven't heard from you, but I can see that thought bubble just lit brightly up above your head. I would love to hear your perspectives
1: on this. Yeah. I find the same thing happening here, but it's a bit different. I always see the whole, oh my God, I'm a boy, I'm way stronger than you thing. And what I do when I'm in that type of situation is I just stay quiet. And then I let them learn themselves that, yes, I am stronger than you, but I'm not going to brag about it. I'm going to let you learn about it. cause. <laughs> It's okay to like brag about yourself and like, oh, my God, I'm so amazing. But at the same time, you can't put down other people because you're so good at something.
2: This is, I think, one of the challenges that we as women face when applying for jobs, for example, the adulting version of what you said has to do with resumes. And what you find time and time again is that men overstate their abilities in their resumes and will apply for jobs far in excess of their qualifications. And women, on the other hand, downplay their abilities and apply for jobs that are far below their qualifications, because they think, wow, they, you know, I could never qualify for that. And there is, to use a word that you used before, balance. There's a balance that you can be humble and proud. And there is a way to do that that is effective. And I loved your point that you just shared with regards to let them learn about how fantastic you are, having your actions speak louder than your words. And that is fantastic. I also though, think that there is a place for your educators and whether that's your teachers, your counselors, your coaches, to create an environment that you don't have to even feel that to begin with, but rather that you feel like you're empowered and that those young men also feel that they're empowered or those non-binary individuals, that they feel like they have space, you have space, everybody has space to be awesome. And it shouldn't have to feel like a competition. Everybody should just feel like they're mutually empowered. That's the ideal environment. It's hard, it's hard though, because you're fighting against You know centuries of stereotypes so there's a lot of work to do
1: i'm very big when it comes to stereotypes it's definitely a topic i love to debate about (laughs) i usually like have these conversations either with my mother or one of my teachers i just like seeing different people's points of views amen amen Well, let me ask you a
2: question. So you're an eighth grader. Next year, you're gonna be in high school. As you think about that transition, what are some of the things that you're excited about? What are some of the things that make you nervous? And, And what are some of the ways that you're hoping to contribute to that high school community?
1: Well, one of the things I'm most excited about is definitely to meet new people, because meeting new people helps me open my eyes to different religions, different races, and everything. And I just love learning about different parts of the world, especially. And what I'm most nervous about is most of the high schools I've already applied to are all dance. So it's definitely really nerve-wracking. Yeah. I always think to myself, oh no, what if I'm not good enough? But then There's that one voice in the back of my head, which is either like my coach or my friends is like, don't worry, Allison, you got this. And I always just keep thinking about that, to not have to think about the negative stuff.
2: Yeah. Yeah. You've got this, Allison. That's the key. That is a great mantra to have in terms of those applications.
1: Why do you think apprenticeship learning is important for kids and children?
2: In Switzerland, I think you'll be blown away by this. editory education only goes up through the ninth grade. So imagine being done next year, right? But what happens is that 70 to 80% of young people do an apprenticeship starting in the 10th grade and not high school. Think about your friends. There are some of them who learn really well in the classroom. And there are some of them who learn really well with their hands or want to be in an environment that's really interactive, right? And in Switzerland, what I saw was apprenticeship really in a broad array of jobs, insurance, banking, working in sports retail, working in hotels, working on trains, doing engineering, doing science, doing manufacturing, doing computers and web design. There are apprentices in all of those different areas in Switzerland starting at the age of 15. And what I saw was that young people doing apprenticeship three or four days a week, one or two days a week they're in school learning things related to those apprenticeships. So if you're a cheesemaker, you're learning microbiology and chemistry, but everybody's learning citizenship and everybody's also learning financial literacy so that they can balance checkbook. The apprentices are earning money. So imagine being able to take home a paycheck And then after your apprenticeship, you can go on to higher education if you choose. Many do, but many also just go on with their careers. In the United States, only 30% of people actually get a four-year university degree. So the idea in bringing the Swiss model to the United States and expanding it and expanding the notion of apprenticeship here is really recognizing that we need many paths to success and we shouldn't be elevating university as a sole path or as the only path.
1: Thank you so much. Let me turn it back over to Ms. Gazdick, please.
0: Thank you, Alison. Susie, we ask all of our guests at the end of the show the same question. Knowing what you know now, what advice would you give your 13-year-old self? I would tell my 13-year-old self,
2: don't listen to
0: the counselor who didn't
2: listen to you. <laughs> I had a male coach and he was my high school guidance counselor and he was a very nice man. He knew I wanted to be an engineer and rather than send me into more math and science classes, he sent me into more history and literature classes. And I think that was based on my gender. And so that's a very specific thing that I would tell myself back then is to take more bath and don't listen to those who don't listen to you and then the other is to know that your heart is also very worth listening to and sometimes there will be really hard decisions and sometimes in those very hard times your heart can deliver the ultimate point for making that decision
0: Well, Susie, Allison, I enjoyed listening to your conversation so, so very much. And I just want to thank you both for today's show. Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. And Allison,
2: if I can be of any help to you in the future, don't hesitate to reach out. Thank you. Take care. Bye.
0: Bye. Thanks for listening to Formative, a production of New York Edge. I'm your host, Rachel Gazdick. My co-host today was Allison from 83X in the Bronx. She was assisted by Stephanie Loretta. Season three of Formative is brought to you by the generous support by Macy's Inc. Our production partner for the series is Citizen Racecar. This episode was produced by Tasha A.F. Lemley. Post-production by Alex Brower. Original music by Garrett Tiedemann. Production management by Gabriela Montaquin. Thanks to the whole team here at New York Edge for making this series possible. Never miss an episode of Formative by subscribing to the series at newyorkedge.org formative or wherever you get your podcast.